ever wondered what it would be like studying Spanish at the University of Oxford? Sit in on my conversations with Spanish tutors to find out what's so fascinating about the literature they teach, why they love teaching it, and why they think you might love it too. Hi, Dominic. Christy, hello. Hello, how are you doing? I'm uh, Dominic Moran. I'm the Spanish tutor at Christchurch, but I also deal with Spanish for Brasenose College as well. Um, I was an undergraduate um, at Trinity College in the now, uh, I suppose, technically remote past of the late 1980s and early 1990s. Um, partly, in fact, largely as an experience of what I did as an undergraduate and the tutors who taught me, I developed an interest in um, Spanish-American literature. Um, I've always tended to be interested in particular authors uh, rather necessarily than sort of themes uh, or periods. Uh, and it was a consequence of that that I went on to do my doctorate uh, on the Argentine writer Julio Cortázar, about whom we're going to hopefully speak. So we're going to be speaking about a short story today by Julio Cortázar. What's the name of the text? And maybe you could tell us just a little bit about Julio Cortázar. Well, this is, um, in fact, the, the, the title of the text is in some ways quite problematic. Um, not in Spanish, well, even in Spanish, it's slightly problematic or slightly unusual. It's called, called Continuidad de los Parques, and it's been translated as Continuity of Parks, which of course doesn't sound English at all. But it's by uh, an Argentine writer, a very famous Argentine writer um, called Julio Cortázar, um, whose dates are uh, 1914 to 1984, uh, and who is the most important and most influential um, Spanish-American prose writers uh, of the 20th century in both the fields of uh, the novel, um, but certainly also in the field of the Spanish-American short story um, uh, in which he really was a sort of pioneer. Great. And so what's the basic plot of the short story that we're going to be speaking about today? Well, I've, when I was sort of uh, thinking about how I might go about summarising the plot, the words uh, spoiler alert kept flashing through my head, um, because this is a very, very short story. It's a story about a person who, as it were, gets so absorbed uh, in the reading of a novel that something quite nasty seems to end up happening to him precisely as a consequence of his having got so caught up and lost in the reading of the novel. And what happens is revealed, um, at least partially in the final words of the story, which give the reader, I think it's fair to say, uh, quite a shock. And why did you want to speak about this text in particular? Well, um, in some ways, of course, if I say because it's short, that, that isn't as flippant as it might sound. Using an economy of means, verbal means, in order to produce a maximum of, of impact is really central to uh, the craft of the short story writer, particularly the short story writer in modern times. A short story has a very long history, and for great chunks of that history, the short story wasn't necessarily very short at all. But um, the great practitioners in modern times, to think of one that, that known to many, um, Hemingway was a specialist in very short and very oblique uh, stories, and Cortázar was another such writer. So I thought that the best way to test his um, as it were, credentials as a short story writer was by choosing, as it were, an extreme example of the genre, because in a way, an extreme example of this particular genre ought to be a, an entirely representative and useful example. And I can think of none better than a short story, which is just uh, a single page long. 
Brilliant. So let's talk now about the short story more generally as a literary form. What's the definition of a short story, would you say, and how different is it from a novel, for example? Oh, goodness me. Well, in some ways, um, I was dreading that question because um, it's one that, of course, demands to be answered, um, but, but has no definitive answer. Because like nearly all literary genre uh, over the centuries, uh, what people considered a short story uh, has changed quite, quite radically, really. One thing it's perhaps worth thinking about is that the short story um, is perhaps the oldest of, of forms which became literary forms, because um, ever since people have been telling each other uh, stories, um, they've been telling each other short stories, of course, and we go all the way back um, to pre-literate societies. Uh, we think perhaps slightly conventionally, we need to be cautious about that. But of course, of people sitting around uh, the fire at night, telling each other tales. And of course, what you tell is a tale which is short to the point, which doesn't digress, which doesn't wander, which is full of tension, excitement, maximizes impact. Uh, and I suspect that the sort of, what we would now call aesthetic values, which were central to short storytelling before anyone thought of writing short stories down as what we now call literature, uh, remain central to the genre um, now, so the short story that we're looking at today is written by an Argentinian author. Is there anything in particular that characterises the Spanish-American short story in comparison to short stories written in other parts of the world? Again, this is a very good question and a very important question and another one to which there's no straightforward answer. Um, you, if you read more of Cortázar's stories, uh, you'll realise that he was a tremendously cosmopolitan writer. Uh, his stories, both in, in, in terms of their subject matter and their themes in particular, are by no means confined to uh, either Argentina, Latin America more broadly. Um, and that's partly to do with his own personal circumstances and history as a writer, um, partly as a consequence of his own, as it were, literary and cultural cosmopolitanism. Now, of course, um, as with all genre, there are some um, examples of it which are more obviously tied to uh, the local context and the local setting and circumstances um, than um, others. I'll take one um, example, in fact, a very famous example, and it's the Peruvian writer, Ricardo Palma, um, who in the late or mid to late 19th century, I think he started to produce about the 1863, I think is the date, produced volume after volume of what are called Tradiciones Peruanas. Uh, very interesting um, stories which are in some ways partly chronicle, partly fiction, partly vignettes, partly reworked history, uh, which in short form revisit, uh, as the title suggests, sort of episodes, figures, crucial moments, folk tales, etc. from uh, the history of, of Peru. Um, but then you have other writers, perhaps most famously of all, Jorge Luis Borges, another Argentine writer, um, 15 years older than Cortázar and a very important influence on his work, um, who was conspicuously and quite deliberately cosmopolitan. Uh, and his outlook is very, very different. Um, in some ways, the first wave of short story writers who one might consider as a sort of, you know, a phenomenon, which were the so-called modernistas uh, of the late 19th and early 20th century. They were more famous for their poetry. Uh, and again, they were very cosmopolitan. Uh, many of them were directly influenced by literature coming from France in particular, 
the so-called Conte Fantastique was a huge um, influence on many of them. And so it's a form which is, uh, on the one hand, of course, very sort of, you know, strictly defined in terms of sort of length and dimensions, but at the same time, it's very capacious. And of course, that's good news for readers because um, it can deal with a great deal of, of, of subject matter. So in some ways, I don't want to give a definitive answer. Some short story writers in Spanish America are obviously Spanish American in their focus. Others are uh, much broader. You mentioned before that the short story has a long history, but was there any particular moment when the short story was popularised in Spanish America, would you say? One thing, whenever we talk about literature, um, it's always worth remembering that sort of behind uh, the scenes, as it were, we tend to get not lost in ideas, but absorbed in, in sort of ideas when we read books. And we tend to forget that they're also physical objects which are produced uh, not just books either, of course, in particular sets of circumstances. And in Spanish America, it's worth remembering that many of the uh, Spanish American countries that we, we recognise now only came into being in the uh, early decades. In fact, uh, 1810 is given as the first date for the beginning of the Spanish American independence movement. Um, for, for, for many, many years, these countries were busy fighting themselves to a standstill and trying to um, uh, sort of established themselves as sort of functioning um, states. Uh, illiteracy was, of course, and entirely understandably um, uh, rife, uh, given that they were emerging from the several centuries of, of, of colonial rule in which most people had been forbidden, forbidden access to or had no access to, as it were, learning, etc. And um, publishing was, was not a big thing, to put it simply. And so you have a sort of large, sort of barren period in which very few people got to write. Um, you had to have the money to do it. You had to have the time. Uh, you often had to self-publish because, of course, there weren't that many printing presses around the country. It's towards the end of the 19th century, really, um, when uh, literacy rates are growing. Um, urban centres are growing and large urban centres are always where literature is first disseminated. There is um a uh, more a sort of more widely disseminated uh, press uh, magazines are set up journals etc that people start to publish stories in um these uh, journals because it was one of the only ways in which authors were going to get a wide audience back in those days and that's what i said before you see this wave of modernista writers uh, the most famous of whom is the Nicaraguan Ruben Darío, but there are plenty of others too, um, who publish lots of stories um, in journals. And that's really when the genre becomes, as it were, popularised and, uh, and recognised as a widely sort of practised uh, genre in the, in the continent, I would say. And that continues well into the 20th century. So let's move on now to speak about Cortázar, the uh, author of the short story we're going to look at in some detail. Did Cortázar have specific views on how a short story should be written or what sort of effect a short story should be trying to create? There's one very important lead with Cortázar. I'm going to say yes and then qualify that, that, that yes slightly or at least trying to illustrate it a bit. Cortázar has a very important uh, predecessor in the form of the American writer Edgar Allan Poe, who's often referred to um, as the father of the modern short story. Um, and 
um, he wasn't, he was by no means the only influence on Cortázar. Cortázar is a tremendously, or was, excuse me, a tremendously cosmopolitan writer who, and it was to his immense credit and the advantage of his work, that he would take influences wherever he found them and build on them and change them and, um, as it were, do things with them differently in his own work. But Poe, in 1842, in a very famous review, uh, he wrote of um, a book called, a book of short stories by his fellow American, Nathaniel Hawthorne, a book called Twice Told Tales, uh, used some of uh, that review to, as it were, lay out the aesthetics of the short story as he conceived of it. Um, and in fact, Cortázar, um, basically almost 100 years later, um, translated the complete works of Poe. They were published by the University of Puerto Rico in the mid-50s. Um, and are still uh, available. Um, and I think the principles laid out by Poe in that um, very important review um, remain at the heart of Cortázar's own short story writing. He expanded on them, he phrased them or described them differently. I actually think the story we're going to talk about is in some ways Cortázar using the short story form to think about some of the things that Poe said uh, in that famous review. Is there anything that characterises Cortázar's short stories in terms of the writing style? It's interesting because in his first book of stories, which is called Bestiario, which is published in 1951, um, Cortázar has a rather different style in many of those stories to the one he would develop later. Many of those stories begin with bizarre events, which he tries in a way to naturalise by treating them in a matter-of-fact fashion. So, for example, in one famous story called Carta a una señorita uh, in Paris, a letter to a, a, a young lady uh, in Paris, uh, there's a narrator who, at least he tells us, um, keeps vomiting up little fairy rabbits uh, for no apparent reason. But the narrator isn't surprised by this. And after a while, the reader ceases to be entirely surprised by it, although I don't think we ever cease being somewhat disturbed. In another story from the same collection, there is a tiger wandering around a country house in the outskirts of Buenos Aires. And all of the characters accept this as just a fact and develop various signalling systems to warn each other um, when the tiger is in their proximity. I won't say what happens in that story other than that it isn't pleasant. Um, what Cordesa would go on to do, he was no less interested in the um, things which were, as it were, disturbing, disquieting, or worse, um, but he tended to approach them in a much more apparently matter-of-fact fashion. If you read his prose style, the prose is in a sense unobtrusive. It's actually quite oral almost in style. It's sort of conspicuously unliterary. It's designed as it were very often, and Contumidad de los Parques is a very good example, to put the reader off our guard um, and, of course, to make us to forget in many respects that what we're reading is a work of literature. Uh, his intention, as it were, to immerse us in the narrative without our even being aware that someone is telling us a story. And he uses very particular um, sort of methods to do that, but they're so subtly deployed that we barely notice them in his best stories. And I think this is an example of that. A big part of studying Spanish at Oxford is looking at texts in a lot of detail. So we're going to focus in now on Cortázar's short story, Continuidad de los Parques, so we can analyse it a bit more closely. So maybe now you can give us a more detailed account of the plot of the short story before we do a close reading of it. Um, I'm, going to sum, I'm going to do what Cortázar does in the story and be as brief and shocking as possible. Um, this appears to be a story, I say appears to be because it's, it has its complexities, 
about a man who becomes so absorbed in the reading of a novel and so uncritical of his reading that, and here, of course, something very strange appears to occur, by the end of the story, he, he appears to be murdered by one of the characters in the novel he's reading. And this experience of the fictional character in the story is in some ways, of course, disturbingly mirrored in our reading of the story itself, because, of course, we become completely absorbed in this story uh, to the extent, I think, that we forget that it's a story actually about a man reading um, so that by the end, in a sense, we are caught short as well. And we realise that we put ourselves in exactly the same position as the protagonist and we can see what happens to him and I think we almost find ourselves as it were looking round just to check no one's coming at us by the time we finish it so um of course why this happens and what we're supposed to make of it are the key questions but that's what the story is all about it seems to be a story about a man who pays a very very heavy price for reading uh, too casually and uncritically so is this short story written in the first person second person or third person it's written in um, third person, in the free indirect style, in the sense that um, we, are, we begin with the perspective, filtered through a third person narration, of this uh, man as he sits down to read the novel. But as the story progresses, um, Cortázar does something very clever, in that he gradually shifts the perspective, or the focus of the narrative, so that we lose sight of the scene with which the story begins, i.e. that of the man reading the novel, and we're gradually induced to enter what look like the pages of the novel that he's reading themselves. And in fact, in the end of the penultimate paragraph, when we get the phrase, empezaba a anochecer, it's entirely unclear which of the two worlds that sentence belongs to, whether it's uh, that of the man reading the novel with which the story began, or that of the novel in itself, in which the two lovers are planning uh, the murder of um, the um, unfaithful wife's uh, husband. And then, in fact, the final paragraph of the story could easily belong to the novel itself. It's no longer clear exactly what it is that we're reading. So Cortázar very, very subtly, as it were, changes perspective as this narrative advances. And what's the prose style like in this short story? Is it the same throughout all of these shifts in narrative perspective? Um, the prose style, again, as I was saying before, is very, as it were, unliterary, except in some of the passages that refer to the text of the novel. Interestingly, I think, the sort of novel that this, this guy is reading, and by the way, it's interesting to see the, the character Cortázar picked as his, as his protagonist, um, strikes me as being one of those sort of romantic, sort of overblown uh, melodramas and some of the descriptions we get. Um, or from the novel itself, uh, uh, seem to confirm that. Um, but the style of the story is deliberately unobtrusive. Uh, Cortázar does not want style to get between the reader uh, and what's actually happening. Uh, and of course, again, that allows us to be, as it were, sucked into the narrative um, pretty quickly, just as the reader of the novel is. Uh, the style is in no ways difficult. It's not conspicuously stylized, except when it refers to the text of the novel early on. And then things change, I think, in the concluding paragraph of the, uh, of the story. The last paragraph could easily belong to the novel itself. Um, how do we know this? Well, um, there are no references anymore to the man reading, either direct or by, by implication. 
Uh, you'll notice as well that in the opening uh, paragraph, when the man reading the book is described, Cordasso uses the imperfect throughout, and that puts the reader at a certain distance. So you have, primero entraba la mujer, ahora llegaba el amante. Uh, admirablemente restañaba ella la sangre, por él rechazaba las caricias, etc. And the use of the imperfect in this descriptive fashion reminds us that what we're getting is the experience of the novel filtered through the consciousness of Cortázar's protagonist. Notice, though, in the concluding paragraph that the, the imperfects disappear, and now we get preterites describing uh, single actions. Um, and, the, and now we're very, very close to the characters in the novel rather than to the initial protagonists of our story. And in fact, as that last paragraph proceeds, uh, the pace of the narration uh, picks up. Um, it's also worth noting that um, in the concluding uh, sentence, and I've used that in inverted commas, um, there are no finite verbs at all. Cortázar gets rid of them so as to speed up, as it were, the pace of the narrative um, and, as it were, hurtle us towards the dramatic conclusion. So again, we get caught up. We're very close now also, not to the consciousness of the reader, but to the consciousness of the protagonist in the novel who's about to commit this murder. Uh, so things do change uh, quite considerably in that um, last, uh, the concluding paragraph. But because, of course, the prose style itself is so unflashy, and because Cortázar is so careful in the way he does this, uh, we don't actually notice this going on the first time we, we read the story. We're just caught up in it, I think. Now we've spoken a bit about the prose style. Are there any striking images that you want us to focus on within the short story that you think are important for us to talk about? Images, um, figurative language, I think would distract Cortázar from his uh, purpose here. Um, instead, if you like, he uses very subtle um, what turn out to be motifs. Um, with the, uh, so all of the elements which reappear in the concluding um, lines of the story, um, the ventanales, the respaldo of the, del, del sillón, the terciopelo verde, the head of the man resting on it, have all been mentioned in the opening um, lines of the story um, in a way which doesn't particularly draw the reader's attention. We pass over them because we have no idea initially um, that they're particularly significant at all. And again, Cortasa, as it were, is almost unconsciously getting the reader to sort of absorb these references, which then take on a great deal of significance at the end of the story. Where you do get figurative language, by the way, uh, in this story, it comes from or it alludes to uh, the novel that the uh, protagonist is reading. And I think it's rather, it's deliberately overblown. Um, it belongs to the world of perhaps the slightly trashy, the slightly melodramatic, uh, sort of romance come thriller. I don't think we're supposed to understand that the, the reader in the story is reading a great work of literature here. In fact, of course, his life is taken up with hard work, business, uh, etc. And he reads purely for escapism. Uh, that's what's interesting about it. It's the sort of escapist understanding of reading and of literature, uh, which is, is the cause of him paying the price that he pays at the end. And can you pull out any quotations from the short story um, that give us a sense of the way that the protagonist views reading or the sort of life that he leads? Uh, there's one very interesting word here. Um, uh, I'll begin with that. Uh, uh, a couple of sentences in, it says, Esa tarde, después de escribir una carta a su apoderado, 
uh, his attorney or lawyer, he discutir con el mayordomo. So this is a character who also has a sort of butler or uh, a man, as they used to say in the worst sort of English novel. Una cuestión de aparcerías. This is a word which means, uh, it refers to the joint ownership uh, of land. And the word finca earlier on, uh, again, um, you would also find the word estancia in Argentina. It's not quite clear, of course, where this story is set. I think that's deliberate. Um, but it is clear that the, the protagonist is a sort of wealthy landowning type. Uh, he has a large estate. Uh, he has people working for him. Uh, he's wealthy. And that is basically, um, you know, his existence. Uh, the reading of the novel is to distract himself from all that. And there are a number of things which are which make that clear. Um, for example, he is arrellanado en su sillón favorito. So as it were, flopped back in his uh, favourite armchair. Um, and it says, of course, la ilusión novelesca lo ganó casi enseguida. So as soon as, as it were, he relaxes back, he lets the narrative, as it were, were, wash over him uncritically and becomes absorbed in the story. And the next line, as it were, reinforces that. Gozaba del placer casi perverso de irse desgajando línea a línea de lo que lo rodeaba. So that means he enjoyed the almost perverse pleasure of gradually, as it were, detaching himself from his surroundings uh, as he read. Notice also, by the way, there's a very nice detail here, which proves to be ironic later on. It says, when he sits in his sillón favorito, it says it's de espaldas a la puerta que lo hubiera molestado como una irritante posibilidad de intrusiones. So he deliberately, as it were, turns the armchair away from the door precisely because he doesn't want anyone intruding upon the act of reading. And again, we don't notice this at the start, but that's precisely the action which brings the the narrative to such a dramatic close. So yes, I think there's plenty in that first paragraph that I think give you a very clear picture of what sort of person this is and what his, as it were, preferred reading material and reading habits are. And so why do you think Cortázar focuses on the art of reading in this short story? When um, Edgar Allan Poe wrote that review I mentioned a while back, he was very keen to make a distinction between the short story and the novel. And he said a number of things about the short story. Um, first of all, he said the experience of reading the best short stories should be closer to the experience of reading poetry than to the, than that of reading um, extended prose. He also said that the short story, as he understood it, ought to be read in a single sitting from which the reader as it were, never emerged. It had to be completely immersive. Once you sat down to it, you had to be dragged in and then you would go, as it were, to the end. So um, in some ways, of course, Cortázar is putting Poe's principles into uh, quite dramatic practice here. Um, and as it, he espoused those principles very much. Um, but um, Cortázar, when he was writing novels in particular, and when he was meditating on reading more generally, wanted to cultivate suspicious, critical, inquisitive readers who never took at face value uh, what a text gave them, who always wanted to sort of um, uh, burrow and dig beneath the surface of the narrative to see what might be lurking, uh, as it were, beneath. Um, and this is where there seems to be a, a sort of paradox or, or contradiction of sorts here, because he writes a short story 
about a man reading a novel, which is completely immersive, as he says the short story should be. But by the time we get to the end of the story, we nevertheless, by dint of our having been immersed in it, seem to commit exactly the same sin, as it were, or error that the protagonist of the story commits. Which is very interesting, isn't it? Because in some ways, Cortázar is writing a story which exactly fits his great predecessor's precepts, and yet leads to this quite disturbing con conclusion. The more immersed we become, the more vulnerable we seem to become, as it were, uh, the more suggestible we seem to become. So I think what Cortázar is actually doing here is writing a story uh, in, a, in, in a way to sort of test that theory and to look at some of its consequences. Thinking about applying for modern languages at uni? Well, keep up to date with the latest episodes of the podcast and find out about our upcoming outreach events by following us on Twitter at OxMML underscore schools. You might also like to take a look at our modern languages blog, Adventures on the Bookshelf. This podcast was created by Professor Ben Bollig, produced by me, Christy Calloway-Gale, and brought to you by the Subfaculty of Spanish at the University of Oxford. Special thanks goes to the tutors that participated and the Taylor Institution Library.